Coming up to the weather this weekend, hearing the weather reports last week, I was excited about a snowfall. Like we haven't had a good, we haven't had a good snow in a while. Like I, I miss you know, snow was so much fun when I was a kid, getting out and playing in it. Like hey, great, we're gonna have some snow. So yesterday, when I'm shoveling the slush out of my driveway with a broken snow shovel, it dawned on me that it was not as much fun as I thought it was going to be. And like the, I, I remember snow as a kid being a lot more fun. And also our garage door breaking down because of the cold temperatures. I didn't have to deal with that when I was a kid. So it's easy to come up to something. And this is how it relates to what Eddie was saying. It's easily easy to start something and think, this is going to be so much fun. This is going to be great. And then you get into it and actually have to do the work and have to do the grind and have to do the things. And it's like, this is not, this is not that much fun. I thought this was going to be much more fun. That happens in ministry all the time. Not just even what we call ministry, but just even a Bible class or anything, even worship. Everything we do in the church, everything we do as a Christian, there's those times where we start something and we're thinking, this is going to be so much fun, and then it's not. But we still have to do it. It's still rewarding. That's Those are the most rewarding things, or when you push through, and you even when it's not fun. Like, it was nice to be able to back out of my driveway this morning for the first time in a week because where they plowed the roads and put it all in front of our driveway, and I had to shovel that slush. But today I was able to back out of my driveway, the reward of that hard work yesterday. I know that's a very simple analogy, but bear with me here. <laughs> this That's a lot of what ministry is. There's those days where you're just like, why, why did I sign up to do this? This is not fun. Ah, those are the rewarding times. So stick with it. That's my way of saying the same thing that Eddie is saying. Stick with it. That's what the Lord's telling us today. Stick with whatever he's called you to do, even when it's not fun. Keep on being faithful with it. Let's welcome up Josh. I'm looking forward to this. Thank you, Jason. Good morning, everybody. But Jason was bringing up some memories for me. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I grew up in Wisconsin, and uh, I did a lot of shoveling. I don't know how many times I would just get to the end of the driveway, and I'd see the snow plow coming up the road, and I'd think, oh, no, because I knew what was going to happen. It was going to bury the end of my driveway in another four foot of snow, and I'd have to go right back at it again. I mean, people know how it is with your parents, uh, funny, as soon as I moved out, my mom got a snowblower. All that time I was doing it with a shovel, you know. It's like the parents that get a riding lawnmower after their teenager cuts the grass with a push mower all their whole uh, teenage life. So anyway, all right. Good morning, everybody. Let's look around at all the beautiful faces and see who I get to talk to today. Um, I woke up yesterday morning and had been up a little bit, and I started having a text conversation with Pastor Chad, and we were just texting back and forth a little bit, and he said that uh, he would be praying for me. And you know what? I really felt those prayers. Uh, sometimes you dig out a message. Sometimes you, you know, you really work real hard, and, and other times it just kind of flows, and, and yesterday uh, it already flowed. Like I had 
told Jason last Sunday, I'd already been uh, kind of dreaming the message anyway, but sometimes when you start to put pen to paper, in this case, start typing, hunting and pecking on my uh, keyboard, uh, it comes slowly, but it wasn't like that yesterday. I really felt your prayers, Pastor Chad, and and for when uh, Sam watches this online, uh, I felt you praying for me as well, Sam. I appreciate it. All right. Um, so I'm confident that uh, the Lord was speaking to me, but there's always a part two. There's the me receiving it, but then there's also the me conveying it to you and hoping that it makes an impact on your life. So for that, uh, let's just go to the Lord real quick. And Father God, I pray that what uh, what you're speaking to me will make an impact here, that it will touch lives. I know that I heard you. I know that what you said is important to you. And I see the work that it's doing in my life. And Lord, I I believe that there's others here that it's going to minister to. So I pray that you would uh, just allow your word to shine forth. Your word is anointed. And your anointing breaks yokes, Lord. So just come and do your work here today, Holy Spirit. In your precious name we pray, amen. So I halfway joked and I was halfway serious with Eddie beforehand. I said I, I meant to get here early and, and tape out some marks on the floor of where the, can, the, the camera will work because uh, I tend to roam when I preach and if I'm not careful, I'll just walk right off camera and <laughs> they'll just be hearing a, a voice. So anyway, all right. I'm going to go with a... Uh, preamble here before I get into the main message. Uh, just something that's been on my heart to share. I almost shared it during prayer time last week, but uh, just felt a gentle nudging to wait until this week to share this. Um, this first one's a little, a little bit ugly, a little bit sad, but bear with me. Uh, back in the 1940s, they decided to do an experiment uh, on some children. Right off the bat, that doesn't sound good, does it? So what they did is they took uh, 40 infants and they divided them into two groups. And 20 of them were cared for like you would care for any other child. And 20 they set aside and they put them in a very strict um, setup where caregivers would come in and they would change their diaper and they would feed them and they would bathe them, but they wouldn't do anything else for them. They wouldn't touch them. They wouldn't hold them. They wouldn't love on them. In fact, they were instructed to not even make contact, eye contact uh, with the children. And, um, and they were trying to see what would happen because of touch, how important touch was to human life. And they ended up pulling the plug on the experiment early because the children that were cared for in that way, began to die. They said uh, uh, within not too much time, about half of the children had already passed away. Some of them, they ended the experiment, put them into homes with loving parents, but it was still too late. They had given up their will to live, and uh, a few more died in the care of other people. 
So um, the conclusion was that nurturing is a very vital need for human beings. Um, So I went on and I studied another one. This one's a little more kind, but they decided to do a further study on it later on. And so what they did is they just took normal parents, and this study was much larger, uh, I think with uh, thousands of children, and they had parents keep a log. And they would study, or they would log how how often they fed them, and how often they changed them, and how often they bathed them. All the, all the, pretty much the same things from the first, the first one. But they also had them record, did you just kind of meet their need, or did you take extra time to love on them? So they, all the parents um, completed this study, and they uh, went back when the children were four and a half years old, and they took swabs and began to study their DNA. And they found that the parents who took time to love on the children and hold them and hug them and stuff, make eye contact, that their DNA was normal. But then when they studied the DNA of the children whose the parents said, you know, we basically just met the need and moved on. You know, maybe they were busy parents. Maybe they were strung out moms who were trying to you know, pay bills and go to work and, and all, and you know, and they just were busy and didn't spend a lot of time with the child, whatever the case was. And they found the DNA of those children to be immature, underdeveloped. So, you know, once again, they just further proved how important touch is. That study is actually still somewhat ongoing because they want to go back and trace these children as adults and see what has happened in their lives. But they did, uh, they put out a statement saying that touch has deeply rooted and potentially lifelong consequences on the epigenome, which is the very base level of our DNA. Believe me, folks, I, I could have really nerded out on you here, but I, I'm trying to boil it down. <laughs> I, let, I read a lot about chromosomes and DNA. and <laughs> So um, one last one here. That one was from the Miami Herald. Uh, this last one was posted in Psychology Today. It says, as the Times notes, however, touch can ease pain, lift depression, and even impossibly increase the odds that a team will win. So that this was a pretty full, uh, full-level study on how even touch affects adults. You know, I said babies who are not held, nuzzled, and hugged enough can stop growing, and if the situation lasts long enough, they can even die. And this was going on to talk about. Um, some of the problems that develop when children are in orphanages. You know, and orphanages are notorious for maybe meeting the needs but not really having the time or resources to touch, caress, hold, love, and how that changes the history of them. It says, um, it went on to talk about uh, when children don't get enough repetition and build loving bonds that it can spell trouble later on in life. Uh, that 
that kind of thing helps set up a template for how we have loving relationships. So why am I sharing all that with you? Well, I guess my heart is just growing really concerned about the lack of connection and touch in the body. You know, um, for us to come together and touch one another and be together has a, a lot of power for us to fight off depression, for us to feel whole as a person, for us to have an overall sense of wellness. You know, I, uh, the church has fought really hard to meet the basic needs. And, and when I say the church, folks, don't think I'm just uh, talking about Wellspring. The church is much bigger than just Wellspring. We're just, we're one part. But anyway, um, it's one thing to just meet the basic needs, but there's something more that happens during feeding and changing and, and everything. And it's that touch, it's that nurturing, it's that, you know, eye contact, it's that bonding. And so, you know, Chad were, and I were having a, a dinner one night and I was telling him that I'm just really gravely concerned that the body needs to come back together and share meals and have coffee together and, and meet and gather. And, of course, I'm talking to a bunch of people that are in the room. We're gathered, but there's a lot of people also outside of the room. And I guess it's just a call for us to come back together and be together and touch one another and fellowship with one another and, and have what we had in our Saturday morning men's breakfast you know, that that was so important in, in a number of men's lives and and to just fellowship and and break the power of depression in lives and, and and cause growth and not have baby Christians that are impacted long into the future because they didn't have Christian touch and Christian fellowship. You know, it's one of the uh, key markers, one of the things our ministry is built on here to gather together for teaching, for the breaking of bread, for the fellowship and prayer. And so my heart is just uh, asking that we would get back to those things. And, um, you know, I don't want to... We've talked a lot here about not um, being in rebellion against the government. Um, I just have concerns when the government starts asking you to do things that are not... uh, not what the Lord would have for us, you know. And then the Lord would have for us in Hebrews 10, it says, Do not abandon getting together or meeting together as the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you say, see the day drawing near. And I will say the day is drawing near. The day is drawing near. And so we need to be gathering together. Anyway. talk to you about what the Lord has put on my heart, and it has maybe multiple levels here for some people. The very physical level of this might mean something in your lives, but then I want to talk about a, uh, the spiritual aspect of it that the Lord was actually trying to convey to me. So how many people here know what uh, the term means, a, a silent divorce? Anybody ever heard that terminology, silent divorce? 
So a silent divorce looks kind of like this. You know, when two people maybe begin to fall out of love or grow apart, you know, they may still continue to live together for a real long time. You know what? They might, there may be things like kids involved. And so they just stay married because there's, you know, we got to take care of the kids. They may stay together because finances dictate it, you know. They may stay together. Maybe uh, I've known some people that the spouses were in business together. And so it was more financially expedient for them to be married So a silent divorce is when basically two people begin to cohabitate in a house together, but they're not really married. They're not really connected. Um, I was reading about it. It says, uh, this guy quoted, he said, Little by little you lose your sense of togetherness, and you may not even realize it is happening. The busyness of life very easily gets in the way of being a couple if you don't prioritize your relationship. Is your partner a priority when it comes to spending your time? Or do you take them for granted? When was the last time you sat down together and really talked about how you're both feeling? Not about what happened at the other person's work or practical things about the house, but really connecting with each other and talking about what's going on inside of you your thoughts, your worries. Does your partner know what's concerning you right now? And do you know what those things are for your partner? Do you look forward to seeing your partner at the end of the day? Looking over the past few months, how much time have you spent with them enjoying yourselves? Not things like watching TV or films or playing video games, but just connecting. Now, it's real easy to... Come home, maybe you eat dinner together, maybe you handle your own dinner. Uh, Wife jumps on social media, does that all night long. The husband partakes in a hobby or, you know, watches TV. And, you know, those are just examples. Maybe the wife does a hobby and the husband jumps on social media. I'm not gender biased here, folks. But what, but, but, The point is you come in and one person does their thing and the other person does their thing and you just cohabitate day after day. You know, you guys both go to bed, lay down, turn your backs and, you know, fall asleep and and you get up the next day and you do the whole thing all over again. You know, and that's that's a silent divorce. You're cohabitating, you're together, you're in the same house but you're no longer even in relationship. And, um, you know, I just uh, I just want to say if that's you in the physical realm, there's hope. There's hope to come back from that, but it's not easy. It's not free. It takes work, but it is also worth it to put into it. You know, Rachel and I had a a really 
rough and really rocky relationship, and we altered between actively <laughs> fighting and arguing to sometimes, you know, on my end anyway, uh, would be more like what I just described. Rachel's not ever prone to be silently divorced. She wanted to talk about things and deal with things and stuff like that and, and praise God for her. But listen, there is hope that, uh, you know, I read article after article from psychologists that said when you've reached this kind of place or when you're emotionally divorced already, that there's no hope, that divorce will soon follow. But you know what? That's a lie. That's a lie. There is hope to come back from it. Um, you know, you saw the... Uh, Oh, I don't know if anyone would even be able to help me out, but the the Kirk Cameron movie with the, the Love Dare was it or not the Love Dare? Um, Any anyway, the the Love Challenge or Fireproof? Yeah, where you know they came back pretty much from the edge, and, and but it, but it's possible, but not without effort. But anyway, I just wanted to brag now and say, you know what, Rachel and I are are so in love and so connected and talk about our stuff and talk about what matters to each other. And, you know, there was many people that told her to just divorce me over the years. And, and a lot of people probably wouldn't have even thought she was in the wrong, you know. But she held on by the grace of God and Welsh stubbornness. And... um and now she has a marriage that she would have loved to have tried to go out if she was going a second time to find one. Uh, she has that marriage now, but uh, we have the joy of it still being with each other. So anyway, I want to speak to one thing. Part of you know, I've set this up about Rachel, 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 how <laughs> what she did, but. I'm going to describe a word to you, and I don't know how many people in here maybe know this word, but um, the Lord spoke it to me one time when I was kind of in the midst of the mess in our marriage. And I know what's going to happen here. Some people are going to hear this word, and the first thing they're going to think of is somebody else in their life. But I'm going to challenge you to think about how it relates to you. So I was sitting there praying one day, and I began to hear the word narcissist, narcissism. And my first thought was, you know, I was having problems falling asleep driving and stuff, and I thought, well, that probably is like narcolepsy or something. Maybe the Lord's trying to help me with this physical condition I'm having, you know. But I began to reach, research the word, and, and narcissism isn't anything to do with sleeping. It's, I wish it would have been. <laughs> But um, I tell you what, so I began to research the Word online. I began to get some books about it. And in my sick mind, I thought, yep, that sure does describe Rachel. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <clears throat> Listen, guys, the Lord was trying to help me. He was trying to change me. He was trying to answer Rachel's prayers for me that she prayed for a long time. 
And the Lord was beginning to answer those prayers, and the Lord was beginning to move in my life. And I discovered how much of a narcissist I was about how everything in our life, in my wife's life and in my children's life, it all had to revolve around me, you know. It all had to be about me. It all had to be about making my ego happy and and just everything. You know, I was a sick person, um, and uh, and it did a lot of damage. But the Lord is faithful, and He wanted to bring us out of that, you know. And so as I began to research what the Word was, and I began to understand what the Word was and who I was and what was in me and how I was affecting everyone around me, the Lord began to change some things. And now uh, our life is more about what can I do for my wife and how can I make her life better and how can I minister to her. And so basically the one thing I want to tell you is there is hope One of the things I read in so many books is that the narcissist will never change. It will always be that way, and how the person, people in contact with them had to learn to just live with it. And that's the one part of the stories. I I thought, no, that's not true. But then again, those were dealing with things outside of the Lord. But we're in the Lord, and in the Lord there's hope. And we can go from glory to glory to glory, and He can deliver us. And I want to tell you today that there is deliverance from narcissism, all right? If you are one of those people, if your household is ruled by your emotions and your sickness and your need and your ego, there can be deliverance from that. Um, I am absolutely a living testimony of what God can do. So... um, If you're living in a silent divorce or if you're living in a sick relationship right now, whether you're in this room or whether you're outside of this room, just know there's hope, there's deliverance, and the Lord can give you back a marriage that is beautiful. It says in Proverbs 5.18 to let your fountain be blessed. And in some of the versions, that fountain, it says, let your wife be blessed and enjoy the wife of your youth. As we need to continually renew our love relationship with our spouse. Uh, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, Enjoy life with your beloved wife all the days of your fleeting life. This thing goes quick, guys. That God has given you under the sun all your fleeting days, for this is your portion in life and your labor under the sun. All right, so I feel like this is a dual message, but I want to get down to the crux, to the what the Lord was saying to me. All right, and that there there are those of us who are living in a silent divorce with the Holy Spirit. Okay, we may still be attending church, we may be tithing. We may be executing our prayer lists. Uh, Some of us might even still be doing ministry items, things. But our hearts are not in tune with the Holy Spirit. We are not communing with Him. We're not having fellowship with Him. We're not having intimacy with Him. 
And all those things that I shared with you about what a marriage could look like really can be the same with us and the Holy Spirit, or if you prefer to think of it with you and Jesus. You know, you got saved 5, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and now you're just going through the motions of life. You're not listening to Him. You're making your choices based solely on what you want and what's important to you. And there's no time of your day that's devoted to being in His presence. You notice how I said you might still be executing your prayer list? There's a big difference between praying through the things that people have asked you to pray for and communing with the Holy Spirit, with spending time in the presence of the Holy Spirit, of letting the Holy Spirit shine His light into you and make changes in your life, right? So, I have some Scripture. Scripture is always good. The Word of God is anointed, and it can break the yoke of bondage. But I just want some stuff to begin to sink in today. All right? In Revelation 3.16, it says, Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Some versions say spit, if that's a little more agreeable to your ear. This, um, this idea of just going through, the emotion, uh, going through the motions isn't good enough to the Lord. He didn't save us to cohabitate with Him. You know, when God created man, God was happy in Himself already. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they were complete. They had joy. They had everything they needed. They didn't need us, but they wanted us. And nothing has ever changed from that. They still want us. They still want to be in relationship with us. You know, the Holy Spirit isn't lacking in real estate. He doesn't need another place to go. He chooses to come to us to have fellowship, to have relationship. And so, He's not looking for us to be lukewarm. He's looking for us to passionately desire to be with Him. You know, again, in um, Matthew 25, I know I brought this up the other uh, week in, in prayer, but it talks about the, the five or the ten virgins, but the five wise and the five foolish. And you know, it says the five wise had their oil ready, their lamps trimmed. And the five others were ill-prepared. And you know, what is the oil in the Bible but a representation of the Holy Spirit? You know, and so I just felt the Lord saying that the, the five wise... They were waiting, they were worshiping. Their lamp was on fire for the Lord. You know, the five foolish that were falling asleep, they were daydreaming about the things of the world. 
you know, how perform this little test. I've, I've um, performed this little test before on yourself. Just sit for a minute and think about the Lord returning. And if you think about what would it be like if the Lord came back today or this week, would that excite you? Would that thrill you? Or would your first thought be, no, Lord, I've got a grandchild's baseball game next week. I really want to see that. Or, or Lord, I'm, I'm going to Gatlinburg in March. Don't, don't come back before then. I'm really looking forward to that vacation. Or, uh, or you know, my, my child's pregnant and I'm going to be a grandparent, you know, in six months. And, Lord, please wait until that happens, you know. Are you asleep dreaming about the things that this world has to offer? Or is your wick burning? Is your oil on fire? Are you passionately in love with the Lord? And when you think about Him returning, something in your heart leaps and says, Yes, Ah, even so, Lord, come. The Spirit and the Bride cry, Come. You know, just perform that little test. You'll find out something about yourself. I've failed the test before. I know what I'm talking about. And if you fail the test, there's repentance. There's time for change. You know, that's why the gospel is called the good news. It's not because all is hopeless. That's called condemnation. That's what the enemy loves to bring to us, to tell us all we're doing wrong and condemn us. But when the Holy Spirit says, hey, shine a light on this. Oh, you didn't do so good. Repent. Turn. It was an opportunity. For him to be unloving would be to just let us go on in our way and not tell us and not let us know. But he loves us and he's passionate about us. And so he shines light in areas and gives us the chance to repent and come closer to him. I remember I told you a couple weeks ago, repentance is a gift. It really is a gift. It's an opportunity to know him better, to come closer to him. In Matthew 24, 12 and 13, it says, And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will become cold, but the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. That was Jesus prophesying of the end times. And that the love of most will grow cold. And I think, folks, that we're seeing it happen. But... We can rekindle that love. We can come back in love with the Lord. I don't want anyone to mistake, you know, in Matthew 25, it says the five he left behind. And in this, um, in this one, it says that who, he who perseveres, whose love stays strong to the end, will be saved. I don't want anyone to, to start saying, boy, if you don't do it right, you're going to lose your salvation. This isn't uh, that message. But here's, here's more of the way I want you to look at it. In Revelation 22.12, it says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to reward each one as his work deserves. So, 
growing in our passion for the Lord, coming to know the Lord better, is going to have something to do with the reward that the Lord has for us. And what is the work of the Lord? In John 17, 3, it says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. See, the Lord is calling us to know Him better, to fellowship with Him, to grow in Him, and to love Him deeper. So when we talk about our oil burning and our love not growing cold, instead of thinking about, hey, I'm going to lose my salvation. See, that's a condemnation message there. But think about the reward with the Lord to be close to Him, to know Him. And if you think you have find joy in this life knowing Him, wait till the joy in the next life from drawing closer to Him, to knowing Him more. I've heard people say, man, if I could just even be a doorkeeper in heaven, you know, that would be good for me. And to a degree, that's true. You know, the Scripture said, David said, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. And so to be anywhere in God's kingdom would be great. But why not just go for it and be way past the door, you know? Why not, uh, why not just go for it? What I want to convey is that there is hope, all right? I never want to preach condemnation that you're doing it all wrong and you're in trouble. What I want to say is that there is hope. The, off, the Word offers hope. And, you know, in Revelation 2.5, this is, this is the cornerstone verse of the message that I wanted to share on silent divorce. Jesus says to the church, He says, Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from your place unless you repent. See, he told him twice in the verse, repent. You know, just repent, just change. Just go back and do the things you were doing at first. Does anybody remember what it was like to be in love at the first? When there was no distance too far to drive, to be with the one that you were in love with? When there was no conversation too long to have on the telephone? When there was no amount of time staying up late that was too much? (laughs) I remember a time like that. With Rachel and I, you know, oh my goodness, we would talk for hours. <laughs> and I would drive, I would jump in a vehicle and drive forever to see her. I'd drive from Texas where I was stationed to Evansville. Come see my baby. And you know what? I remember times like that in the Lord as well. When no amount of study in the Word ever seemed boring. When... It was nothing to jump in a vehicle and drive all the way to Pensacola or to Toronto to be somewhere where there was a report that the Holy Spirit was moving and just wanted to be 
a part of that touch. I remember I couldn't drive around Evansville when we first moved down here. And I'd see revival on a kiosk of a church, and I was going to get over there and see, you know, maybe the Lord was going to have something for me there. You know, there was no amount of prayer. That was too much prayer. I remember a time when I first got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I couldn't stop speaking in tongues, even if I tried. In fact, I remember I was at work. I used to work at a factory called Uniseal in Evansville. And and I was just praying and singing. And next thing you know, this guy next to me just basically started manifesting. He couldn't couldn't handle it. And he just started yelling at me, which I just started smiling all the more because I was just expressing the passion, the love inside of me for the Lord. So have you grown to a place where all that is just a a distant memory? Are you still bubbling up, welling up inside and worshiping the Lord? Are you still studying His Word? Or are you just cohabitating with Him? Are you coming to church, going through the motions, paying your tithe, doing the stuff until whatever day comes along when it's all over. I just want to leave you, remember the time in prayer with the Lord. Remember the time that you would spend in meetings. Remember the time that you would spend in worship. Remember the time that you would spend in the Word. Notice the repetition of the word time. Basically, where you spend your time is where your heart is. All right? That's the last of what I wanted to share with you guys. I don't even know how long I went, and I really don't care because all I wanted to do was convey to you what the Lord put on my heart to share with you guys. He was challenging me. All right? I'm not coming to you as one who's... Like the first challenge, I know Chad has told you this over and over and over again, that the first challenge is often to the person who's hearing the message. I remember when you shared on rest just a few weeks ago, and the Lord was challenging you, and then you were conveying it to everyone else. I wanted, the Lord was challenging me. Where is my time? How is my love relationship with the Holy Spirit? I had to first look at where I am to be able to convey this to you. But I just now, if anybody, um, Ryan, is Ryan, Ryan, if you can play, Ryan will always make you sound better when he's playing in the background. There's no doubt about that. But um, if uh, anybody, anybody feels like they want prayer, if the Lord got a hold of your heart at all in this message, and you feel like, man, that thing about narcissism or, the, or my house being in trouble and it all revolves around me, if you want prayer for that, we will pray for you. I will pray for you. I stand here as someone who experienced deliverance, all right? I know what it's like to be delivered. If you're going through a rough marriage where 
you feel emptiness in your marriage and it's apart, we'll pray for you. If you know or you've come to know by hearing the Word today that your relationship with the Holy Spirit, with the Lord, is dry. Today is the day of repentance. The Lord says in His Word, Today, while you hear my, when you hear my voice, today is the day for salvation. In Isaiah 60, it says, Awake, awake, O sleeper, arise, shine, for your light has come. And yes, at the, in that scripture, the Lord was talking to Israel. But sometimes a word is a prophetic word for a moment. And today is a day to awake, O sleeper. To stop going through the motions, to get your oil together while it's still time, to trim your wick and have your light before the bride comes, before the bridegroom comes. Not after. Not after. You don't want to be someone who's trying to get to it together after. You want to be the person who's ready when He comes, whose fire is burning. So if there's anybody here who needs prayer, I will pray with you. Eddie will pray with you. Chad will pray with you. We just want to see your passion for the Lord restored, to know Him, to be in love with Him, to have a fire in your heart shining for Him. That's a beautiful testimony. That's a beautiful witness. Someone on fire for the Lord. Anybody who wants prayer, come. Praise the Lord. If everybody would stand with me this morning. We, um, we often talk about, but it has to be a reality, that the church is a hospital. And so I really want you to think about what happens at a hospital. You know, you walk through the halls and what do you see in all the rooms? You see people that are sick. And it's not enough just to be a place that preaches against adultery or fornication or pornography or same-sex attractions. How many know that it's not enough to preach about these things? We have to walk through and recognize that people are struggling with those things. They're struggling really hard with those things. And so one of the messages that we really try to express and one thing that we, you know, I, I personally like a lot when people preach is vulnerability. I mean, appreciate vulnerability when ministers tell people that they've actually struggled. And I think we have to do that as ministers because we're walking down a hospital with people that are struggling with all the things that we've struggled with and then some. And so we have to teach one message, which is the gospel, which is what's called atonement. And I preach this so hard all the time. Bear with me. Josh, give me a little bit of time. So Eddie timed me last time, and my little bit of time you gave me ended up being as long as the message. (laughs) But we're always a hospital. 
And by the time they're done with that hospital, hopefully what happens is you give them their paperwork, they sign out, and they go to their car, and they're either completely whole or they're in a position where they can be whole. How many know that? That's what we want to be. We want to be a hospital that if you're struggling with pornography, you're struggling with hate, you're struggling with anger, you're struggling with same-sex attractions. I mean, no, these are things that we are in the business of applying the blood of Jesus and helping you through that in life. And so you say, well, man, I didn't respond to the message. Well, get my phone number. You know, spend time with me after the service. Because you need to have somebody walk through that with you. And you say, are you going to heal me, Pastor? No, but I do know somebody that healed me. And is still healing me. And, 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 and I may not be perfect, but I'm not what I used to be. But here's the thing. Atonement, there's nothing you can add to it. There's nothing you can give Him to acquire it. There's no behavior that says you have to do this to get it. It's free. And you say, well, awesome, it's free. It didn't cost anybody anything. And that's where you're wrong. That's why I get emotional when I talk about it. Because it's not free. Free to us, but it wasn't free to him. He said, I can do it any other way, but I want it to cost me the most. So you know I love you. How many know it cost him the most that it could possibly cost? No man, the Bible says, has ever been beaten like he was beaten. Nobody has ever been marred like he was marred. You couldn't recognize who he was. It cost him a great deal, but it cost us nothing. And you say, well, what's holiness? Don't I have to be holy in order to earn it? And see, that's where you're wrong too. You need to accept the free gift Know that He loves you, and then begin to be holy. And you say, will I be perfect? No, there's a plan for holiness, and you can't fail. But you have to apply yourself to it, and that's why we're here. We're all here. Get this, we're all here. Our sins have been forgiven, and we're walking with each other to be holy. That means I'm going to have weaknesses. I'm going to have things that God's still working with me on. But we're going to confess it together, and we're going to walk together, and we're going to get strength from one another, love from one another, bear one another's burdens, and we're going to walk out of this place whole. There's going to come a day we're going to be perfect. We're going to walk out of this place. Somebody didn't get that. And we're going to be whole because of the blood of Jesus and the plan that can't fail. We just have to confess. We have to repent. We have to say, you know what? I'm not Mr. Perfect. Some of you heard him talk about, um, what was that word again? Narcissism. Something in me can't say that word. It just makes me tremble, you know. You say, well, pastor, you're a pastor. You're not a narcissist. I'm a recovering narcissist, okay? And they're worse than alcoholics. You say, well, no, alcoholics and drug addicts are worse. No, no, we're all right there together. And we're recovering from something. And if you're not, you need to find an altar because you need to repent for being such a liar. (laughs) Okay. 
So we're going to worship here, and I just want you to find a place. Say, Lord, what is it with me? You know, I'm, 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 if you've never given your heart to the Lord, you've never accepted the free gift, that's step one. Number two is, hey, Lord, search my heart. Where should I be working on? What area should I be working on? You say, well, that's not that important. I don't want to change. But you know what? Your children are crying for you to change. Your family's crying for you to change. Something inside of you is crying because you know it's not right. Your neighbors need you. And God died for that. All of us to change and lay our lives down and say, God, make me what you want me to be. And we're going to be working on that for a whole lifetime. Remember what I told you, we're not a business. This isn't a business. This isn't Wellspring Incorporated. It actually probably is. (laughs) We have to, okay. But we don't act like it, all right? We're a family. And you belong to this family. And we want to help you, and it doesn't matter what your sin is. You say, well, you just don't have any idea. Trust me, you're not going to shock me. You won't shock me. We're a family. We're moving together. We're going to have that touch that a family has. You know, some people are afraid of that because people have done bad things. But the Bible says we've got to love one another. We've got to care for one another. We've got to be noble for one another. How many know that? Noble for one another. Church, let's just get in the presence of the Lord. If you need prayer, that's what we're here for. In the presence of the Lord. What an awesome word. We're going to take a few minutes to just love on our Lord, right? Hallelujah. If you have anything you need prayer for, come up now. And if you don't now, and you say, man, I want to do it after the service, or Chad, I'd rather call you and talk to you about it, we'll do it. Amen. statement of love that that anybody has ever made by dying for me and that was the plan from the very beginning for him to die for me now I want to be holy but I don't earn his love by being holy some of you have struggled your whole life in your relationship with the Lord is the silent divorce he's talking about because you go through these long periods of failure once you fail you don't get right back up you just wallow in the failure of I did something wrong I'm not as good as he wanted me to be I'm not what he expected I'm I'm not good enough and the Lord wants you to know that he died for you and you could do nothing to help him You can't do anything to earn it. He died for you and it's a free gift and it washes your sins away. And because He did such a great act for me, 
grace now becomes amazing to me. When I walk into church and I've been good, well, maybe I'm a little dangerous ground because I might think a little too highly of myself. But when I fail, which has been a lot in my life, I walk into church and I raise my hands and I just say, I'm sorry and your grace is really amazing. See, look at Paul. He knows what amazing grace is. That's why he's happy. Some of you came in dragging because you failed him and you don't think he loves you. And I'm telling you, when you failed, if you tried your best, you can't fail in this plan. You raise your hand, you say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I want to be holy with all of my heart, but you told me I would fail. And you raise those hands and you say, your grace is so amazing. And you recognize, how can I even raise my hands? And it's because of grace. And so when I raise my hands on a Sunday morning, it's not because I'm a worthy son. That is my goal. That is my desire. That's what I strive for. But we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so when I raise my hands, all I can say is, He's amazing. His grace is amazing. His love is amazing. His love endures forever. And then I get up and I say, you know what? With all of my heart, I want to be holy today. Help me be holy. Because He wants me to be holy. Does everybody understand that? I'm going to keep saying it. Because the Lord told me something when I was praying. He said, Chad, how does it feel to have the cure? How does it feel? See, I have the cure for everything. I'm not just a snake oil salesman. (laughs) I really have the cure, and it's the gospel. It cures every sin that I've mentioned today. I've got the cure for it. I've got what it takes to cure bitterness. I've got what it takes to cure anger. I've got what it takes to cure every form of sexual immorality. And you say, well, how are you going to do that? You're going to walk with me. You're going to talk to him. And he said, though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. And I'm going to take you through this plan that you can't fail. This plan of grace, of mercy, of love, and wholeness. And God, there's there's going to come a day and you say, well, man, this is a short life, right? How many know it's short? It's very temporary. And the Bible says one day we're going to look eye to eye with Jesus Christ in the air. And it says we're going to be just like him. No more sin. No more struggle. No more fight. I can't wait for that day. I wish it were today. And the cure is going to happen, and we're going to walk out of this hospital, and we're going to be whole forever. Hallelujah. Let me know that. We've got the cure. It's not just me. The only time that cure doesn't work is if they don't receive it. There's not a heroin addict in the world right now that would not be healed if they didn't if they accepted it. How many understand that? I need to know that. There's not a heroin addict in the world who couldn't receive the gospel and be cured. That's the truth. 
we have the cure church hallelujah let's pray heavenly father we love you we love your house lord god we love everything about you lord everything about you is beautiful lord and lord we just uh pray for one another today and we just ask that your grace your mercy your peace your joy Lord, not the joy that the world has, Lord God. The world's miserable right now. It's the joy that only you give, Lord God. Let it fill us all week, Lord God. Oh, Father, give us the strength to be holy. Lord, give us the uh, humility to know that we're not everything, Lord God. We're not. Don't, don't let us lift ourselves up, Lord God. Let us be humble, Lord, under your mighty hand, Lord God. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.